Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfang, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations. I am so excited you are here today. We have so much great content coming your way, and this is actually coming out in a two-part series. So today we're going to talk about genetics. Let me give you the rundown. Dr. Matier Negron is a medical geneticist at Miami Cancer Institute, a world-class cancer center, part of Baptist Health, South Florida. Dr. Matier Negron is trained in internal medicine, genetic diagnosis, and the treatment of patients with hereditary disorders. Dr. Matier Negron is board certified in medical genetics and internal medicine. Her clinical interests include genetic cancer risk assessment, breast cancer, colon cancer, and ovarian cancer. We are also joined today with a panel of women, moms, and daughters who have all been affected by either breast cancer or a germline genetic mutation, which increases one's risk for developing cancer. I am pleased to have Abigail Johnston moderate today's discussion as part of our NBC webinar series we host every other Sunday. She is joined with her mom, Beverly Schroeder. We also have a longtime and dear friend of mine, Tris Chambers-Ballas, who is a three-time breast cancer survivor with her daughter, Maddie Ballas. I am also pleased to have Stephanie McLeod Estevez on the panel. After losing her mom to metastatic breast cancer, Stephanie decided not to rush into getting genetic testing. She focused on grieving the loss of her mother and starting her own family. It wasn't until after she became a mom and was diagnosed with breast cancer that she discovered that she carries the BRCA BRCA2 mutation. With this stellar panel of personal experiences and medical expertise, we will be sharing this content in two parts. Today's discussion is going to focus on the technical. What is genetic testing, germline mutation? What can we expect when we go see a genetics counselor? The difference between a genetics counselor and a geneticist? And all of those nitty gritty questions. We don't have any control of our genes. Let me just start it with that. Our genes are the things uh, that are in our DNA. It is something that we have no control over. And so this is not about um, blame. This is not about looking at somebody and saying it's your fault. It's about how do you deal with a genetic mutation that runs in a family? Welcome to the conversation. Today, we are talking about those people who have genetic germline mutations. And there are those mutations that run in families with a particular emphasis on the idea of how do you feel when you are passing something along to a child? And, uh, I'm excited that my mom is here as part of our panel to talk about the genetic mutation ATM that I uh, received as part of my genetic makeup from her side of the family and probably had something to do with my diagnosis of stage four metastatic breast cancer at 38 premenopausal. So I'm excited that we have Maddie and Trish here today as well, another mother-daughter pair, and Stephanie um, as well as Dr. Martyr Negron, who tells us we can uh, refer to her as Dr. Martyr, who is a geneticist at the Miami Cancer Institute. We're very excited that she has joined us to talk about the, the scientific side of things and also to address what you might expect 
What we're gonna do to get started is have each of our panelists introduce themselves. The, the reason that I want them to do that is so that everybody who's listening has some context as they share their experiences that you know where they're coming from. We're all gonna come at this idea of potential genetic germline mutations. And I keep using germline because that is distinguishing a mutation from something that your body acquires later or if you have cancer, that the cancer cells acquire later, because we know that our cells are always mutating, especially those pesky cancer cells. But there can be mutations that we simply inherit from our families. And we're learning more and more about the different mutations that can be uh, inherited. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephanie McLeod Estevez. I'm up here in Portland, Maine. So close to Laura, pretty far away from Abigail. I am a breast cancer survivor and an art therapist. Uh, during treatment, I was tested because of my strong family history and did receive the news that I was BRCA2 positive for mutation. But this wasn't the first time that I had that genetic um, discussion because my mom passed away from metastatic breast cancer when I was 26 and she was 51. And so my PCP had made the recommendation, I think I was 30, to go and talk to a geneticist, which was really interesting. Um, ultimately, I decided against getting testing at that time, in part because I was so deep in the grieving process of my own mom, I felt like the only thing I'd be comfortable with was a sure response and who wants to say, yes, sign me up for a mutation, please. And um, I think had I known what I found out 10 years afterwards, because I was diagnosed at 40, I might not have decided to become a mom. But as I went through my own healing process and then became a mom after the age of 30, you know, I realized that I don't regret being alive, despite the possibility of my children also getting this mutation. And I do think, you know, having conversations with your kids are really important. And there are times where it's just gut wrenching. There's no right answer when it comes right. to, do you want to know what your genes say? We also know that genes or mutations are predispositions. It doesn't mean yes. for sure. Right. So right. even though you have a BRCA2 mutation, it doesn't mean you will have all of the things that you might be um, have a propensity for. So thank yeah. you for um, for saying those things. And you, you are one of our uh, individuals who chose not to get the testing initially. So we wanted to make right. sure that we get that that perspective. Trish, can we come over to you to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Trish Chambers Bayless. We are four generations of breast ovarian cancer. And um, I didn't get tested. I, I actually went through um, Dana-Farber Brigham breast ovarian prevention in my 20s. So I went through everything in my 20s. I hopped out um, to have a baby. So I hopped out for that one year. And that's when I found my breast cancer. So it was right before Maddie was born. So I got everything set up to, you know, go through treatment and, and everything as soon as she, um, she, it was close. I was eight months pregnant. Um, I was 35 years old and, um, I didn't tell anybody, like I didn't tell my family until 
because I wanted her birth to be her birth. I wanted, I knew that this was probably the first and the last. Oh, I'm going to start crying. I kept everything to myself until she was born. And then I went, you know, went um, through everything that I needed to do. But at the time, genetic, the only genetic testing that was available was Myriad Genetics. And I um, came up negative three times, which was odd. And I kept saying, there's something wrong. There's some, of course, you know, four generations, you know, my grandmother, my mother, you know, me. I did a large deletion assay test sent to France. I did all, all this testing and it all came up negative. And that was in the 90s. So I'm sure Dr. Matier will focus more on that because um, the testing wasn't that great back then. And I was missing an entire allele of one of my genes. And so when they went to that place for the BRCA1 or 2, I wouldn't, they wouldn't see it because it was just completely missing. And so that wasn't discovered until, I don't know, some years later. But um, so I've gone through breast cancer three times, right when um, Maddie was born. And then 10 years later, um, another one. So it was like left, you know, two triple negatives and one mildly positive. And, um, and then finally got a bilateral mastectomy, you know, this last time around, um, went through treatment each time. So I'm a chemo expert. None of it was easy. I'm also a registered nurse. What I didn't expect, obviously, and why I didn't get more um, radical treatment when, when Maddie was born was my tumor was so large because everything that goes to protect a baby, all the growth factors that go to protect a pregnancy are the same growth factors that grow a tumor. So as soon as she came out of me, my tumor went from half a centimeter to four centimeters. And I thought, okay, I know. And it was, I had positive nodes as well. And so I just thought, I'm not going to do radical surgery because if I only have a year with her, I'm not going to take it up healing from a radical surgery. So I didn't at the time. And then, um, and then life happened. And then we moved, when we were moving from Massachusetts to Texas, I got diagnosed a second time. Such a, a great reminder that we as moms will often adjust how we are doing things and put our children first. Like you didn't mm-hmm. say things to people that might have given you support but you didn't want that to take that away from your child's birth. And Mm -hmm. how often do we as moms make those decisions to put our children first or to put their comfort first? So thank you for, for sharing that. So I'm Maddie Bayless, Trisha's daughter. I obviously am on the other end of things where I've been experiencing someone who's gone through um, this terrible disease. So yeah, obviously I don't remember the first one. But my mom always told me how she never told anyone that news about her being diagnosed for me. And I've always and everyone always told me that was true. They're like, we had no idea. Um, so that was kind of my first introduction into hearing how she, you know, started off with her first diagnosis of breast cancer. And then um, when we were in Texas, she got diagnosed again. Um, I think that might have been the toughest one for me. It was the first time, you know, I kind of saw my mom without hair, saw her going through, you know, she was tired. And my mom's always like, go, 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 you know, never really stops. And to see her stop was something that I just never thought could happen. So that was probably the toughest on me. And then um, the last time it happened, I was yeah going in freshman year into college. And I think, as she said, it was probably the best place I could have been. I remember over and over, I wanted to come home. She said, stay there. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're getting a degree. This is 
exactly what you're supposed to be doing right now. So, I mean, she always reassured me and made me feel okay, even though I wasn't the sick one. I was hesitant um, at first, like you, Stephanie, to get tested, but I only took about a year to come around with Trish. With Trish, So um, I got tested and I also tested positive for the BRCA2 gene. So yeah, that's now we're just starting my journey of great doctors, new relationships and can monitoring and doing the best we can. Hi, everybody. I'm Beverly Schrader. I'm Abigail Johnston's mom. And um, Abigail is my oldest of six children. So when I was 50, I was diagnosed with early stage cancer, uh, breast cancer. Did not have any real family history. Um, So I was right in the middle of menopause. So I was kind of treated almost like pre-post. Nobody knew where, what category really to put me in because like my hormone testing, I was halfway through. I treated it very aggressively. Um, at the time, even my doctor was kind of like, are you sure you want to do this? But, um, I decided to do the bilateral, um, mastectomy. I decided to do chemotherapy, even though that wasn't necessarily recommended, but I guess I, I come from a medical background and I, even though nobody was telling me, oh, you know, this or that, and, and I hadn't done any genetic testing at that point. I, I just thought I'd feel better if I was really sure. <laughs> so after, and this was in 2005. And so after I got done with all my treatment, um, I asked to do genetic testing and all they had at the time was the BRCA testing. I was negative. And of course, you know, I knew I had three daughters and three sons and I was very concerned that, you know, I, I, I wanted to know for their sakes, if there was anything. And it was really interesting because at the time there was a lot of people that didn't want to do genetic testing because they thought it would uh, reflect negatively on your insurance that you might not be able to get medical insurance if you had a genetic, you know, propensity for anything. But um, I just decided, no, I'm going to do it. I guess it maybe gave us a false sense of being in the clear, (laughs) Uh, definitely a false sense of being in the clear. So um, I know my daughters all knew um, that I'd had breast cancer, of course, and, you know, they were consulting with their, you know, their doctors, but they were all young. They were in their like 20s at the time, 20s and younger. My, my youngest daughter was like 10 when I had breast cancer. Then, of course, when Abby got diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer at age 38, we're just like, what? You know, where did this come from? And, um, you know, of course, her doctor recommended doing genetic testing. And that's when she found out she had the ATM mutation. And it was interesting because it had only been five years prior to her being diagnosed that they actually were able to start testing for the ATM mutation. Now, had I known that when they started testing for it, I would have gone and gotten tested, (laughs) but I didn't know. Nobody told me, nobody made sure that I had that understanding that there were more things to be tested for, you know, genetic testing. So um, lesson learned, you know, and, and Abby is such a great example to me of somebody who just doesn't, doesn't take, you know, any slack anywhere. She is just constantly, you know, investigating, researching and and doing everything she can to, you know, find out what's 
what's out there, what's the next thing that we can, you know, look at. And, and I tested positive for the ATM mutation. Um, so far, I have uh, my second daughter tested positive and has gone through the prophylactic bilateral mastectomy and is being, you know, keeping up with all the screening and everything else. Um, I have my middle son was tested and negative. My youngest daughter was tested and negative. And then I have two other sons who I keep saying, you got to do it. You got to do it. (laughs) Um, And they will, but they haven't done it yet. So um, it, and it's hard because how do you, you know, they're adults, they, they have to do that their own. Now, along the way, my brother got tested and he's positive and two of his three children have been tested and they are positive. So it's just, it's a huge family thing in our family. But the funny thing is looking back prior, it just wasn't really, I mean, there's been cancer, but not like breast cancer that much at all in my family history. So, so here we are today and, and now it's part of our everyday life and everyday conversations. Next, I want to turn to Dr. Mertier uh, to introduce herself and also talk about the different people who are involved with the genetic testing process. Because uh, there are different people with different roles in that process. So thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Mertier, and being willing to be with us today. Many, the majority of patients are seen by the genetic counselor. Uh, the genetic counselor has a, a master degree in, in genetics. Uh, there is, um, as a part of their treatment, I'm sorry. As a part of the 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 uh, their studies, they they deal a lot with psychosocial issues that you see in, in patients uh, uh, when they're discussing what is the risk for family members, and they take the time. Uh, this is genetics in general is not something that you can talk to a patient for 20 minutes and and goodbye. It requires a lot of explanation because when you know that you carry a mutation, you know that this is not only you. This is something that you have to talk to your family. Um, and, and they are uh, licensed. Uh, we are in Florida. Now they're licensed in Florida, but usually, uh, but they are not in, in for Medicaid and, and Medicare. They are, they cannot order tests by themselves. So they worked with, they, they will work with um, a, a geneticist or uh, a physician, because a physician has to order the test. In, for, all, for certain insurance, they are approved as a provider and they can uh, order the test. But in reality, when Medicare and Medicaid doesn't let you do the test, the, the order the test is very difficult to order it. So this is why you will see the genetic counselor working with, uh, within an oncology practice, surgi- surgeon, uh, oncology surgeon practice, in my case, in my team, uh, I, I have many and they order all the tests under my name. They usually see the patients initially and I see the patients as a follow-up and discuss uh, results. So why, what the geneticists do? So I'm a, I'm a physician. Uh, my background is internal medicine. So the majority of, of geneticists will have a specialty. In the past, it used to be pediatrics, but, uh, and, 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 Initially, when I was interested about uh, genetics, I said, but I'm not a pediatrician. I remember the geneticist saying, but you know that many of these children 
are now adults because because there is better better screening. We have learned more, and 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 in, in cancer genetics, the majority of the, the patients I see are are adults. So uh, I did my 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 medicine, internal medicine, then two years of genetics in the in in the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and and then two years in a of cancer genetics. This was an NIH-sponsored um, career developing program at City of Hope in in Duarte, mm-hmm. California. It's in LA County, mm-hmm. and and the the main reason I I did this. I remember I'm from Puerto Rico. Uh, I remember uh, being seeing young people in my, when I was uh, doing my, um, my rotation in oncology. And I remember this very young woman with a very strong family history. And I said to the oncologist, this, this patient needs to see a geneticist. Uh, and she said, oh no, uh, the geneticist is only for children. Uh, and that was like, no, you know, this is a life-saving and, and and it happens that in that town the geneticist was going every every like every two weeks, and and when I received this that they were doing cancer genetics, I said okay I I will I will apply and I'm glad that I was accepted. Also, the, one of the reasons of doing cancer genetics uh, for me and for many of the genetic counselor is that you can really do something about it. See. Because you can really give recommendations and the person can do something about it. When we see children with certain conditions that really there is nothing that we can do to prevent other than tell them this is the risk of having a child. But then any, any treatment for my child? And we say, well, therapies. Uh, for, for, for cancer genetics, you really can do something if you have this knowledge. So I see the follow-up. I give recommendations. The recommendation had more weight when it's given by a physician. Uh, I will do clinical examination, and and in some cases we can do diagnosis of genetic conditions, even when there is no mutation, because we understand that we don't know we don't have all the explain all, all the genes, and it's possible that there is a gene that um, is associated with this syndrome. So we know we have certain syndromes. We need to look at the characteristic. And only a geneticist can do a clinical diagnosis of a genetic condition. Mm-hmm. And is uh, this is two years, so I did three years of internal medicine I completed, and then two years of of genetics, general genetics, and two years of cancer genetics. Thank you for explaining all of that and knowing who we should be seeing for what and when. We heard a little bit from Trish and how she got genetic testing through a company called Myriad. Some of us are also familiar with products that we can get, so to speak, over the counter for genetic testing. Can you put that into context for us a little bit? You know, what is the difference between getting genetic testing from a physician and ordered from a physician versus just ordering something online? And and yeah, and and it's very important. Something that Stephanie says uh, said uh, that not everybody will decide, and as a part of the decision making, you have to have. An explanation. What do you should you expect? What is going to happen if you're positive? Uh, what will be the recommendations for your family member? And when somebody does direct to consumer, this part is not completely 
understand or, or is not discussed yeah. specific for you. So w w w there is one that I can tell you is very well known color that is direct to consumer. Somebody can go, uh, can order the test through a doctor that, you know, is signing these papers. And they said that you can uh, call a genetic counselor and have the talk to them. That is an, an option that they had. It's not personalized to for your family. Uh, and uh, personally, I feel that the, the way they report and, and the fact that they don't uh, discuss, the reporting is mm -hmm. not great. Uh, and also at some point they were not checking the variant of uncertain significance that I can discuss that in a moment. Uh, that, that I, I don't usually, I don't use that. I have never ordered a test through color. Uh, we we make sure we really study the labs that we're going to use. We need to have a contact with the scientific li uh, liaison of this of this lab. Uh, we need to have these conversations. Um, when you do direct to consumer, you receive the results, and then you sometimes this can be not sometimes in the majority of cases this is a yeah. lot. Uh, mm -hmm. You usually. You do the testing and say, well, I'm going to do the testing, thinking that it's going to be negative, right? But then when you see the report, uh, you need to have somebody who can explain this to you. Mm -hmm. Sadly, uh, uh, the, the literacy in the, in the medical, uh, in, in the physicians, uh, is not great. Uh, it, it has not changed, even though we have uh, genetics have become mainstream, it continues to be. Uh, very poor because I have patients who are positive or they said, or they said to the doctor, can I do genetic testing? And they said, oh, no, that, that, that is not, not necessary. Uh, and because physicians, they don't want to say, I don't know. No, no. In genetics, we feel very comfortable saying we don't know because we really don't know many things uh, because these are new tests uh, that uh, the technology is more advanced, actually, that the medical knowledge so you can test for many things, but that doesn't mean that we're going to have clear recommendations. Myriad, they cater to both, to the non-geneticists and geneticists, and the majority of the labs are doing that because at the end, this is also business. Uh, mm -hmm. But the, the reality is that uh, when a, a primary care physician uh, or, or gynecology, there's some that are very good that they know what they're doing. And I tell my patients, oh, you have a very good gynecology. You have a very good primary care physician. But in many cases, they only send for BRCA1 and BRCA2. And mm -hmm. when they're doing that, what they do, especially if it's done in a lab like Quest, for example, uh, that we cannot go back and say, this is not enough, we need to do more testing, then the patient will need to pay. Uh, never now in 2021, there is no reason to be ordering only BRCA1 or BRCA2. And in many cases, I have patients that comes with mutation. But when I look at the family history, I notice that there's some other cancers that cannot be explained by the mutation. And I said, we, we should do a panel also. Then uh, there is the 23andMe that has some information from the BRCA1 and BRCA2. So they test only for three mutations in the BRCA1 and BRCA2. It has no value if you are not, if you are not of Ashkenazi Jewish descent, mm -hmm. because these are the three Ashkenazi Jewish mutations. 
So if you are not Ashkenazi Jewish and you carry no mutation, that doesn't mean that the stuff there. But also, if you're of Ashkenazi Jewish and you don't carry the three mutations, you may feel a, a, a false sense of security when there are other genes associated with breast cancer. So you have to be very careful. Uh, there is uh, ways always to talk to a genetic counselor in the majority of these labs. And you don't have to feel forced never to do a genetic testing unless you feel comfortable. But in order to feel comfortable, you have to have a really good conversation, know what to expect, and it has to be explained to you and all the, your questions being answered. Such phenomenal advice. Yes, it's a conversation and you should not proceed unless you feel 100% comfortable with your choice. Thank you for explaining that. Abigail, can you explain a little bit more about your experience getting genetic testing? In my situation in 2017, my uh, breast surgeon only repeated BRCA1 and 2. Um, instead of doing the the full genetic panel, it wasn't until we found out that I was stage 4 that we did. And I keep saying the full panel. Um, I think that mm -hmm. at least when I did it, I was told they were looking at 40 different genes that had something to do with breast cancer. Has it gotten even more significant well, since 2017? Yeah, when you did myriad, it's 38 gene panel. Uh, well, we can test up to 91. Some labs had like a 100. Um, you, when, when I talk to my patients, like if I'm talking to you and you said, do, have I have enough? I have to look at your family history. If it's associated mm -hmm. with breast cancer, Yes, that 38 gene panel has all the genes that we know that are in guidelines. And this is also important to point out uh, what is in guidelines, because there are some genes that are believed to be associated with breast cancer that are not yet in guidelines. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I mentioned to the patient that com comes with a 38 gene panel, I said, know that there are some genes that are associated with breast cancer, but they're not in guidelines. If you carry a mutation, there will be no recommendations for you or for your family unless, uh, and for some of these genes that there are candidate genes. So these genes are candidate genes. So what are candidate genes? These are genes that we believe are associated with breast cancer and we can test because I told you technology is, 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 has, is easy. Technology doesn't need to deal with people. And, and, and these are genes that, are in the pipeline to maybe be part of the guidelines, but they're not yet. There are some other genes that we don't have guidelines, but there is there are good papers uh, written by very good scientific uh, good scientists behind it that uh, with specific recommendations. And what I tell to my patient is know that when you do a very large panel, there will be for some of the genes that you test, you may, may, we may not have guidelines. But two things, I'm gonna look at what is in the literature and know that uh, you will be first in guidelines, the first in line when we have guidelines. And I follow the patients once a year who have a positive result in any gene because these guidelines are moving as, as we learn more about. Uh, so, so far, what you were tested is fine, but for example, if you test have a 38 gene panel and you come with a family history of kidney cancer in a family member at very early age, I would say that panel is not good. Why? Because it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have genes associated with kidney cancer. See, 
Uh, if you have somebody who has melanoma, I will say the other genes associated with melanoma that you haven't been tested. If there is somebody coming with rare type of cancer, myriad is not good because myriad is, is, is guideline based and is the most common genes associated with the most common cancers. So that will be perfectly fine for a group of patients, but it may be not good for certain patients based on what we see in the family. There, there is the reason right there why you want to see a medical doctor and not a, you know, not a genetic counselor alone or not a doctor that doesn't specialize or have this access to the literature to know that, you know, guidelines are a moving target, right? The guidelines are adjusted all the time. Not that they're, you're keeping anything out, just that I'm sure there's a process for something to be added to the guidelines. Yes, uh, it has to be proven and that it's associated with cancer. It's based on on database around the world. Usually it's big reg- registries that uh, many countries have. It has to cause problems in everybody. You know, every, not everybody, let's say. In all ethnicity, but not everybody is going to have problems because this is predisposition. That doesn't mean that you will develop cancer, but it has to be associated with there is some new fun, new information that I'm going to provide to you. Maybe you, some of you know. Uh, there is also now, besides doing DNA testing, they are introducing RNA testing. And now with COVID, the vaccine, like many people know about RNA. Uh, so DNA, the DNA is information. It doesn't have function. The function is made by a protein. Uh, and the protein is made with the help of the RNA. So it's, trans, it's, it's transcribed and then translated, and the RNA is dealing with that. Uh, they have been now uh, with, with this new introduction and, and many labs, uh, also because there is a lot of competition between labs, which is great. Uh, they're offering this, and these have been very helpful uh, to identify um, new changes that uh, we we thought that it may be a uh, cost problem, but now we know for sure based on be, being t- in testing the what is closer to the protein. Okay, so that is very important so that that this extra information, any extra that you add to a panel, uh, it will be good for the geneticist. It's not great for the non-geneticist because they want to make it simple. Uh, because they really don't have time. Many of these doctors, they don't have the time that we have to discuss this. Uh, when the patients see the genetic cancer, it's an initial visit, it's usually with genetic cancer, unless patients have had genetic testing before, then I see the patient myself initially. What the genetic counselors do is that they have this special training in, in knowing uh, when when the patient uh, how how the patient feel with the information and and understand what would be good at that time for the patient. And when I see the patient, the patient has the option to reflex. Sometimes I have patients that were very nervous. They did what is called the surgical planning panel, which is like eight genes, include ATM, include the BRCA1, BRCA2. I, I you're gonna I said BRCA1 and BRCA2 because BRCA is the te- the name of the analysis from Myriad. So this okay. is the gene, is BRCA1 or BRCA2. So the BRCA1, BRCA2 have ATM and other genes. 
Uh, but it doesn't include all the genes associated with breast cancer. And that is very important. So when I, when I see the patient, I said to the patient, if, if they only did the eight genes, I said, know that this is incomplete, mm-hmm. uh, that you should do more. And I explained why. And, and they usually will do more. Or even when they did that, they do like a 30 something panel, the most common genes associated with the most common cancer. I may see something that looks, I, I will say, there is this family history of pancreatic cancer, for example. There are many genes that you were tested associated with the most common type of pancreatic cancer, but do you know exactly what pancreatic cancer is in your family? They will mm-hmm. not know the, the, the actual information, and, and then, uh, they, then it's a good idea. And I always mention, remember Patrick Swayze and Steve Jobs? Mm-hmm. Patrick Swayze had a neurocarcinoma. Mm-hmm. Patrick, uh, 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 um, Steve Jobs has a neuroendocrine, but both have pancreatic cancer. And the panel that you have will have, we have been good for Patrick Swayze, but not for Steve Jobs. So it's just, you you discuss this, and this is why it's important to have somebody who knows. The genetic cancers are also very good in also telling exactly what are the genes. We are not, there are not many geneticists. There are more genetic cancer, although more are needed. Uh, But we, uh, at, at where we are at the Miami Cancer Institute, we have a very strong department. And, and what we try to do is for the patient to know what is available, understand what uh, what will happen if they carry a mutation, and to learn that this may change in the future because uh, we gather more information. And I also say to some patients, especially when I don't know, uh, the the three to five years call us and uh, to see if there is any new information. Mm-hmm. For example, they have noticed they have noticed of some of these families with very strong family history that we don't have an explanation. With the RNA testing is when they're finding more. So the uh, RNA testing is here to stay. They started with some genes and now there are two labs, very reputable labs, that are often RNA testing for all the genes. Dr. Matier, thank you so much for this comprehensive scientific explanation on helping us understand genetic predisposition, genetic testing, questions that we should be asking our our doctors, our oncology team, our genetic counselors, and then really the role that the geneticist plays in helping us decipher all of this valuable information. Thank you all for tuning in today and for being part of our panel. I would love to thank Abigail for moderating and being here with her mother, Beverly. I would also love to thank the other mother-daughter couple on the panel today, Trish and her daughter, Maddie, and then also Stephanie for sharing her perspective on genetics and you know finding the right time in which it is right for you. So thank you all for joining us today. And I wanna invite all of our listeners back next week as we're gonna continue the discussion with our amazing panelists and turn to the emotional side of genetic testing. And thank you all for listening and tuning in week after week here on Breast Cancer Conversations. Please be mindful that all of our content and information is for educational purposes only and is never a substitute for medical advice.